0: Good morning you're awake that's good if you weren't you are now so good to uh, yeah be with you all this morning. Good to see you. hope you all are well yeah and able to enjoy this weekend and the beautiful weather we have. Um, I know from our class you know Evan and colton and and the college boys they got to um, Blake and Tate, yeah, and Ethan, yes, and uh, Similiana, yeah, they all got to enjoy the beautiful weather, so it was good. Colton, I win. <laughs> he bet me that I couldn't say his name in the message today, so I had to get that going. So this morning we're continuing in an Acts, um, and maybe you've had an experience like this, but last May, about a year ago, I got to go to um, Amsterdam for a... Counseling training in schema therapy. And it was the uh, first time I've ever flown overseas. I've been on mission trips to like Ecuador and, and um, the DR, but that was always like with a group. So this was me going to Amsterdam. And so I had my clinical supervisor, her and I were presenting at the conference. And so they were traveling with me, but they were only traveling to Iceland. And then they were doing an extended stay in Iceland and then joining me later in Amsterdam. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, on top of things. And I um, reserved an Airbnb in Amsterdam that was a couple blocks from where we were, and had done that probably about five months ahead. And everything looked good. And it was about the week before, and I reached out to my Airbnb guy, and just to confirm, and heard nothing back. I'm like, that's okay. It still says it's all good. So I'm just going to, we'll be good. So get on the flight, make the flight. We get to Iceland. From Iceland, we get, I get to uh, the uh, airport in Amsterdam. Get off the airport, and I call my guy and say, hey, you know, I'm in early. Can I check in early? Is this okay? No answer. It doesn't answer. I'm like, okay. Pull up the listing on Airbnb. No longer active. He is, he is gone, and I am sitting in Amsterdam airport, realizing now that I have no place to stay. I've never been to another country on my own, and remembering, like, wow, it would be really nice if my supervisor and her husband, who on this journey was um, a, um, getting to his 100th country that he's traveled to, because he is a... Um, he he has his own nonprofit and they do missions work all over the world. So he travels all the time, knows how to like navigate everything. And and of course they're in Iceland. I'm in Amsterdam. Just there in the airport. Like so do I leave the airport? Because I don't really have anywhere to go. And and just the that sense of like I'm like it's it's just me. You know? And you have these moments. I, I remember standing in the airport. The doors out are right there. The uh, the um, escalator down to the train is like right. It's on my right, and I'm just standing there and just kind of looking around. And everybody looks like they know what they're doing. No, they know where they're going and what their like plan is. And I'm just standing there, being like, "What in the world do I do?" So I call Airbnb, and they're they're so kind, and they say. I'm sure that this is a really difficult situation for you, but your check-in time is not until six. So, after that, we can arrange something for you. I'm like, I'm not waiting three hours to, for you to like finally tell me. And so, I was like, okay, well, I'm not gonna hang out in the airport all day. I'm in a different country. I'm in Amsterdam. I'm gonna go see Amsterdam. So, grab my luggage. I take an Uber downtown and start walking around, just luggage in tow. Um, go on a, uh, a canal tour, um, which was, was very lovely. Just sitting there being like, you know, what else, what else can I do? Exhausted, because it's like overnight flight, so you don't sleep well, you know. So I get off the, the canal, I'm waiting for Airbnb to inform me of where they think I should stay. And um, so I finally then, I'm like, well, it's getting late, it's like 4.30, 5 o'clock, I was like, I gotta figure this out, like I can't wait. So I find a pub that was just around the corner, and I sit in there, and I start boxing my wife, being like, what do I do? I don't know, where to stay, this is what's going on. You know, a little bit trying not to freak out, but like, you know, like, this is getting, uh, my my, uh, exhaustion is setting in, I don't know how to do this. So then finally I asked the bartender, I was like, here's the situation. Came to Amsterdam today, no place to stay. Well, the, the pub was underneath a hostel, so she takes me to them and says, do we have any rooms? And I'm like, I am not staying in a hostel all week. That's not going to work for me. Um, and they're like, um, no, they didn't, but they sent me across the street to this little room that I get into with cameras everywhere and videos of like all the hallways everywhere. And I'm like, this looks safe. Great, awesome. Here we go, and it ends up that this guy got me set up in a hotel on the other side of town, that was a perfect little room, and was end up being cheaper than my Airbnb, and allowed me to have such an amazing experience of the city because I had to walk 20 minutes to the conference and back, and so I got to walk like all over Amsterdam, and it was it was amazing, and. And it worked out so well because I w- would have had to, at the Airbnb, had to come up with my own breakfast. This hotel had a uh, continental breakfast. And it just ended up being a great experience. And, um, and yet, in that moment, the reality of being on my own was so profound. And, and yet, I wasn't on my own, you know, my... Christina's, like, sending me all these, like, options, you know, um, through Voxer. And, and I had, you know, um, the conference center that I could have went to. I, you know, had Airbnb working on it for me. All these other entities, but in reality, physically, right, I'm standing there alone having to figure this out. And it all works out, you know, and it's good. But the reality of, like, Wow, just having someone along with you is so nice, right? You know, traveling to flying out of um, LaGuardia to Iceland. Like, it was just great to have, like, people who are really used to traveling, right? Because they just know how to go. They get through everything. Granted, because they travel a lot, they have those facial recognition things, and they were just, like, zipping through, when I'm, like, standing there in security, like, for hours. But... It was still really helpful, and it was really nice. that It's like, okay, you know, there's at least someone with me that if I run into an issue, they, I'm not just facing it alone. And so then, if we think about Acts, and we think about everything that we've heard so far, I think we're probably, what, in month five, or something of that, of studying Acts for us, who do we know already travels with Paul? Who are some of the other characters that are in partnership with Paul, who would they be? Go ahead and shout them out. Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, yep. John Mark, somebody say, yep, John Mark, yeah. And then, um, not named, but kind of, we, I think we address this, Luke, right, who writes, uh, who's given the credit of writing the Book of Acts, also is a kind of a known traveler with Paul. And this morning we're in chapter 18, and we meet yet again more people who get connected to Paul and who get to be a part of his world, his ministry, and his life. So in chapter 17, Paul had been traveling with Silas and Timothy. They uh, this is their third missionary journey, and um, partway through chapter 17, we realize we we hear that. Um, Paul ran into issues in Berea, and so he travels on ahead, and Silas and Timothy, they end up staying behind. Um, Somehow they're not as offensive, I guess, and uh, got to hang out there a little bit more. But the plan is for them then to meet up together in Corinth. And so Paul goes to Athens at the end of chapter 17, stays there for a little bit, but then kind of moves from there pretty quickly, and he comes then to Corinth. And when he arrives in Corinth, he finds Aquila and Priscilla. And so um, I'm going to read Acts 18, 1 through 4 as our text for this morning. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Aquila and Priscilla quickly become a very important part of Paul's life. He's used to traveling with people, you know, and it's the first thing he does is he comes into this town and he looks for, right, a place to stay and he looks for people that he can connect with, someone maybe he can work with, something he can um, engage that community and earn some income, right, to sustain him. Because as we know, that's a part of Paul's value, right, is that he doesn't rely on church support. He goes in and he works, for his own um, needs and and resources. And so he finds Aquila and Priscilla. Now, what do we know about Aquila and Priscilla? Well, we know that they're they're mentioned six times in the scriptures, three of which are in Acts chapter 18, and then in three other books that Paul writes. And so here in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, we meet them. This is the first introduction to them. They're a a husband and wife, um, and in Later in uh, the chapter in verse 18, we learn that uh, Priscilla and Aquila uh, will be traveling with Paul when he leaves Corinth. He'll leave Corinth, and they'll go with him to Ephesus. And then in um, verse 26, we, we know and learn that they stay in Ephesus, and from their experience, their training, their learning from Paul, they begin to disciple a gentleman by the name of Apollos. And Apollos is someone who they hear preaching in that synagogue square, preaching to Jews and Greeks. But he's preaching based on the um, testimony and the gospel of John the Baptist and what John the Baptist taught. And so Priscilla and Aquila come and say, hey, this is really good stuff, but let's, let's finish the story for you, right? And so they teach him what they learned from Paul. And then we see in Romans 16, 3, that Paul greets Prisca, who is Priscilla, it's just a different um, version of her name, and Aquila, who have left Ephesus and are now in Rome at the time of his writing. And so we see that, all right, so now we know that um, Paul, he's in Ephesus, and from Ephesus he finishes and goes back to Antioch. Or meets up with uh, Timothy and Silas, and he makes his way back to Antioch to end his third journey. Priscilla and Aquila, they're in Ephesus. They eventually make it to Rome. And then in Corinthians 16, 19, um, Paul sends greetings again to Aquila and Prisca and the church in their house. And so then we understand, okay, so then they're back in Corinth. And then in 2 Timothy four nineteen, Paul sends greetings to Prisca and Aquila, who are back in Ephesus and, and hosting a house church there. And so they kind of do their own missionary journey. And in each location have their own house church that they establish. And so they really do become this, this arm of Paul's ministry that comes. And we see that, that Paul really does care deeply about the, that his relationships with them because they are um, they're a consistent couple and co-laborers in Christ that Paul references throughout most of his writings. This friendship that they formed with Paul happened over uh, about 10 or, or more years, 10 plus years. You know, they, they not only shared in, in housing together, but they shared in work. So they, uh, P- Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers, which is what Paul was. It's what kind of brought them together. And so they're working together side by side all day. And on their days off, they're in the synagogue teaching and listening. And scholars believe it's about a year and a half that he spent in Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila. And so there's a long, long time of doing life together. And so... Priscilla and Aquila had a lot of opportunity to glean from Paul all the understanding, all the learning, all the teaching that he had to offer, all the uh, observing and the modeling, all the participating and the practicing in the synagogues on the weekend, sharing with Jew and, and, and Greek, and sharing with them, learning how to have conversations, how to inform and share the love of Christ with other people. Not only do they live together, but they journey together. They spend time traveling. And if you've traveled with others, it's a good test of relationship and your patience, right? It takes commitment. It takes a willingness. And we see that with them. Paul also helps Priscilla and Aquila establish churches in their homes. And he really creates this this culture within Priscilla and Aquila to, to be open to be um, hospitable with their space, with their time, to be missional, be vision-oriented with the work that they do. And the knowledge that Paul has right, of where Priscilla and Aquila are, that he can reference them in, in the later books that he writes. It just clues us in that he, he kept tabs on them. There was probably some sort of communication, some way that he was keeping up to date on where they were and what they were doing and how they were doing. And so there is this commitment to relationship, this this understanding of sharing the gospel, of ministering to others together, even though they weren't always with each other. And so when we look at Priscilla and Quill, there's kind of two points One that is important to note is that when we look at Scripture, it's it's not just important to look at what is written, but it's also important to look at how it is written. And in the six times that um, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in Scriptures, four of the six, Priscilla, is actually mentioned first. Culturally, this would have been a little bit odd because how they typically wrote at that time, was they would put the male first and female second. Um, And so there's a couple of thoughts here. One is uh, there's belief that Priscilla came from a a family of notability out of Rome, and so she had some uh, cultural status, uh, which that may be true. uh, But scholars tend to think that Paul really wouldn't have been that worried or concerned about social status to motivate him to put her name first. So they kind of err with the second thought which is that her gifting and strengths were more in the teaching and the leading of these house churches and that she was kind of the lead in that ministry dynamic with her and her husband and so that he mentioned her first because in a ministry context she was the one who was really overseeing the ministry of her and her husband. And What's really beautiful about that is that there's never, there isn't a reference to any conflict around that, and there isn't a an acknowledgement of there being any tension around that, or even any difficulty with Paul embracing that. We actually see Paul, if you remember the story with um, with Lydia, right? Paul goes down by the river and he finds Lydia and she's teaching and he embraces that, right? And so there's there's really this, this pattern with Paul to really embrace and, and find acceptance in, in male or female leadership as they serve and share the gospel and minister to others. And thinking about that and kind of understanding how we're wired, I think it's really important to note that it's not so much that that idea of gender not being a uh, a necessary issue or a qualification for for any kind of leading in ministry. But that, and and not to make that a political point, right? Because we wanna we can easily become uh, politically oriented, right? And we can definitely um, think about it in a dichotomous way you know, and put ourselves on one side of the fence or the other. But whenever we look at biases, whenever we look at areas in our own beliefs or values that we struggle with, what's first and foremost is we have to be able to ask ourselves, are we comfortable with our own value? Are we comfortable with our own opinion? Because if we're comfortable with our own value and opinion, if we're comfortable with our own gifts that God has given us, if we're comfortable with our own understanding, well then whatever the other is becomes less threatening. And so then we can actually have conversation, we can actually engage others who differ in opinion, who differ in perspective or view than we do. If you don't know uh, by now, you you will figure it out right now. But Brene Brown is someone I really appreciate the work she's done. And she says, true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. What I really appreciate about that is this idea of, yeah, when I can be secure in who God has called me to be, and the gifts that God has given me to live out who he has called me to be, then I can actually accept that in someone else much, easily, much more easily, right? I can see that in them, and that's not a threat to me. And so it helps me not become jealous of the attention they get for the gifts. It helps me to be able to receive from them when I am ministering together, right? And because I can see that those gifts are of God, that they're living and walking out their identity as pointed out, as called forth by their relationship. With God. And so I can be okay with me. And I can not be worried about how what they do, what they say, might impact or influence or hurt me. Because I know that at the end of the day, I belong with God. I know that at the end of the day, whatever they say, do, or think, that God's going to speak to me what I need to hear about how I should say, think, or believe about me. And when we're in ministry work, the idea of being paired is so important. And this isn't like paid ministry or um, being a part of, uh, having your own ministry, this is daily life, right? I mean, talking to your neighbor, being a Christian in your work context, right? That's all, when I say ministry, that's what I, I kind of am defining that today, right? Is, that is all that. And so being a pair, having a partner, having someone that is in that with you is such a huge blessing. And it is just amazing to be able to walk because there's this an assurance, right? Like I'm good and I got this, but it's always really good <laughs> to have that person who can understand, have compassion, have empathy, have shared common interest in that. I mean, even Jesus, right, sends out his disciples by two. Right? And throughout all of Scripture, we can see there's this commitment to a partnering. I think there's, even in Old Testament, right, there's Joshua and Caleb. You know, there's Elijah and Elisha. Uh, in the New Testament, you know, the, the disciples go two by two. Um, Jesus, even oftentimes, has his three most closest disciples that journey with him and go places. You know, we have Moses and Aaron, right? There's, there's consistently this pairing, this, these twos. And that's not because we can't do it on our own, but it's because God's saying, hey, this is, this is good for you, right? This is safe. Then you have someone you can, I, I wired you to be in relationship with others. So be in relationship with others as you live out your call, live out your life. Brene, her quote continues to say, true belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. When we think about that passage in Corinthians that talks about the meat and the sacrificing meat to idols and so we don't eat it and and the idea of Let's not cause our weaker brother to stumble, right? And so let's not eat. I think it's really important in that context, right, that if we put this kind of um, idea of belonging and being okay with who we are and being true in our identity, right, it's to say that if I don't believe in something, or um, not that I don't believe in something, but if I, I don't have that struggle, right, if I don't have an issue with eating meat, then I can be okay eating it. But if I am with someone who, because of their experiences, would really struggle with that in a context that we're together. If I'm truly okay with myself and comfortable with who God has made me, then there should be no reason to pass on that. Not to pass on that, right? As a support and a love, right? For this brother or sister, and to be just comfortable with that. Take it or leave it, kind of. But if the context was that they're, eh, like, unsure, and let's say I choose to partake, am I comfortable with that? Right? Am I okay? And, and the, the danger that we kind of fall into there is that we often think that, well, we're going to be selfish. And and that's one thing that um, growing up in fundamentalism, growing up in evangelicalism, growing up in an American church, is like we hit hard, right? This idea of don't be arrogant, don't be selfish, lay down, like bear your cross, put it all before God. And, And yet, and that's all true, like, right, we have a sin nature, we gotta be honest about that. But there is this part that God also calls us to live as children of God who are free from all of this stuff. And so how do we actually live in a way that lets those two things come together? And I think this idea of knowing who we are, knowing our identity in Christ, really allows us to hold that. And so when I am working and and being faithful and walking out and I mess up, hopefully the pair or the person in my life who's doing ministry alongside of me, who's living a Christian life alongside of me, is loving and gracious enough to help put me back on the right track in a loving way that allows me to not necessarily feel the the guilt and the shame of being sinful, and not in a way that makes me feel the identity of not being good enough, but helps me feel the identity Of being loved by God and so stay in his light. Right? And and it's it's very difficult because it's actually very easy to get in this posture, right, of seeing others and being able to say, hey, you're not where God wants you to be, based on X, Y, Z. And to say that's because we're really caring about our partner in ministry, we're really loving them. And yet, The struggle is how do we do that in a way that gets them back to personally this confidence and this assurance of belonging with Jesus? Because if you felt shame based on being out of alignment with God, then we know that shame oftentimes does not lead us into a place of going back in front of God but that it often wants to keep us out of his presence when what we really need is to be in his presence to experience the light of Christ. We see this in how Priscilla and Aquila approach Apollos. And in verse, chapter 18, verse 26, and it says he being Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to... uh, I even looked this up how to say that word, and now I forget it. It's Achaia. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. There's just so much care in how they responded to Apollos. They didn't come down on him because he didn't know the whole story. But they said that um, he spoke and taught accurately things. um, He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, uh, what did it say, Fully tongue. but when Priscilla heard, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they let him speak. They let him go through his whole presentation of what he knew. But then they like took him aside and said, hey, this is really good, right? But do you also know this? And so there's this idea of when we are in relationship with others, are we shepherding? Are we discipling? Or are we correcting and rebuking, right? And we see that when we're in ministry with others, when we're in relationship, and we're working towards the spreading of the gospel, we take those who were in partnership with ministry, and we shepherd, and we sh- and we and we um, would just support, and we encourage, and we inform, we teach, we educate. But it's with this spirit of yes, we are together, and I'm good in who I am, and I'm living out my call to be what I have been called and asked by God to be in the body. And when we walk in that way, there's just a strengthening, right? Apollos, you see, what's he do? He goes on and he takes the gospel to another part. And so now we have Paul, we have Priscilla and Aquila, and now we have Apollos. And now they're all doing this traveling missionary circuit where the gospel is expanding. Because we're taking the relationships and we're pouring into them. We're saying we're partners in this. We're walking together and we're valuing the identity. We're valuing the call that God has put on each of their lives. We were in a, uh, DJ and I were in ethics, and, and Dave Willauer, we had our ethics, our pastoral ethics training on Friday. Um, which, you know, sounds thrilling, but I will say has been the best ethics training that I've been to out of everyone that I've had to be at. Um, and the, the speaker um, actually was, yes, uh, a relative of Pam's, forget uh, uh, his first name? Jim Benedict. Um, and he's, he's a very intelligent man. <laughs> he's very smart and knows his stuff really well, and so he made it very enjoyable. Um, and he, he shared, and I tried to find the quote, but I couldn't, couldn't find it to say it exactly, but I'll paraphrase, um, from um, St. Benedict, um, and he talks about when there's a topic of discussion in uh, body of believers. And St. Benedict says, to let the... The most inexperienced on the issue, the most uninformed on the issue, speak first, and then those who are in leadership, those who have wisdom on the matter to speak last and so all all day um, in our small group, we started with the least experienced, so DJ got to go first all the time and uh, I was in the middle, so it was good, and, and Dave Willer got to go last all the time. Um, and, but it was, it was a really good experience because we had this, he, and he explained it. He says, because sometimes those who are most knowledgeable can have that mindset that, well, like, I have the most information, so let me share it. But we lose track of the fact that even the most inexperienced might know something we don't know and have something important for us to be aware of. And and I think that's really important, right? Because even when, like when you look at Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, there's probably so much that Paul knew that they didn't. I mean, he has so many more experiences and, and, and missionary journeys and conversations and and yet how much important how important was it for him to hear them? You know, to listen to them. And and that bond that they had probably grew because they, they had this mutual understanding of each other. And this openness to teach and speak into each other's lives. And and how important that is for us, right? That that we do create space. Because even in like a mentoring relationship. It's not that one person knows everything to teach the other, right? That there's, it's a relationship that we build. And you work together. And you build that understanding, you build that confidence and that trust. And it creates the safety to really test, is this who God has called me to be? Or is this that part of me that just wants things for me? Because I think that's really the the struggle internally, is how do we tell the difference between what feels good because it's what God calls us and what feels good because it's actually just our own personal desire, right? That's, That's challenging. And so we need those safe, secure relationships to really flesh that out, to really test that. To say, okay, is this selfish or is this actually good? And it feels good to who I am because it's of God. You know, sleeping in on a Sunday morning feels really good. Might not be the right side of feeling really good. And so we got to, you know, work that out. We got we to gotta test that with our, within our relationships. So as we transition into communion, you know, there are times where it's really appropriate to come to the communion table humbled and aware of our finiteness before God. And and I don't want to take that away. But this morning, I really do want to invite you to come to the table in this really, really tense place in our souls of knowing we are finite. But knowing that you are called and you are invited to this table, because Jesus Christ has called you his. And there's an assurance, not an arrogance, but there is an assurance and a confidence that comes with that. Because when I can say I am his, then anybody else who wants to call me something else, they don't get that opportunity, right? The The identifying, the naming of my soul has a hard shell because it's not able to be, like, penetrated by the enemy wanting to say, oh, no, you're not. Look at this. Oh, no, you're not. You did this. You lied about that. If you were really his, you wouldn't. No, that's not the whole point, right? Like, the point is when I can confidently say I am his and when I can walk up to this table, not because I'm arrogant, not because I'm cocky, but because i Because he said it, and I agree. I'm in agreement with him that, like, I belong at this table. Not on account of anything I've done, but on account of who he is. Right? There's a confidence in that. There's a strength in that. There's power in that. And so I invite you this morning as we move into this time of communion, to come in that posture. Come like a little child being called by his mother or father. Come unabashed, unashamed, to this spot at the table to partake of our Lord and Savior's. Deacons, you can prepare. Worship team, you can prepare. And I'm going to pray as we move into our time of communion. Father God, we thank you for this table before us. And God, we ask that um, you would just send your spirit to overflow our hearts with confidence and assurance that we are yours. Lord, in those moments that we waver, that we question, that we doubt that, God, I ask that our Our relationships with those who are in ministry beside us would lead us, would guide us with your loving, shepherding hand back, back into the true identity you call us, back into this place where we know we belong. Your name.